Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Jennifer and her sister chose MBK Senior Living for Mom, and as tough as it was, it was the right decision. MBK has a culture of genuine care, one that puts the needs of residents and their families first. They achieve this by building on a solid infrastructure of warm, inviting living spaces and impeccable amenities in attractive, desirable locations. Then their commitment to providing relationship-based care and their attention to each individual sets them apart. MBK gives back to their community, which is especially meaningful to our family. Their commitment every day is to practice compassion and to pay attention to residents' needs so that they can be nimble enough to adjust care accordingly. Their core motivation is, let our family help your family. And I can tell you that for our family, that goal is achieved. Mom seems happy, she has friends, and it's certainly a much better situation for her than living with us. At an MBK Senior Living Community, their motto is, we are all family and here is home. For more information, go to their website, mbkseniorliving.com, or give them a call at 949 949- Two four two one four zero zero. Welcome back. On today's episode, I talked to Vicki Tapia. She is the author of Someone Stole My Iron. But what you'll get from this episode today is a long conversation that touches on many of the aspects of dealing with a parent with Alzheimer's or dementia, the memory loss, the struggles. Listening to this episode, I think will give you a lot of insight into what it's like, what can be expected, and how to handle a lot of the situations that come up. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Vicki. Hi, my name is Vicki Tapia, and I have written a book called Somebody Stole My Iron, and that is directly related to my mother, who called me one day and said, Vicki. Somebody broke into my apartment and stole my iron. And I said, sure, mom. <laughs> she was convinced. Her iron never turned up. I have no idea if she loaned it to somebody and they both forgot or she left it in the common laundry room area at her assisted living facility. Who knows? But the iron, iron disappeared. But it gave me a great title for a book. Memory residences are quite a thrill for things disappearing and reappearing and I think it's, you have to approach it with the attitude that it's a, a lot of roommates living together who share their Yes. And, and it never bothered my dad. It only bothered my mom. So yeah. he, he, did, he really didn't care as long as he didn't have to be naked. Um, yeah, I can see that. Too. He would uh, take all his clothes off and we'd come to visit him and we'd have only his socks on. <laughs> um, he, he was a character. And why, do you know why he did that? No. Just, just thought that it was what to do. Just thought, yes, just thought it was what to do. But that, that happened several times. <laughs> well, I thought the funniest thing I've experienced was the day I show up and my mom had lost a lot of weight because I'm not sure she still eats really well, but her blouse slipped off of her shoulder and she had on a black sports bra and I was like, Huh, wonder whose black sports bra that is. I was like, whatever. You know, we brought you all new underwear and stuff before you moved in here, and I have no idea where all that is. So just Yeah, I guess I would recommend to people that I wouldn't worry about 
replacing all the underwear and everything before you move your loved one into assisted living because if it's a memory care unit, it will probably disappear. Guilt yeah, stuff. I think a lot of it's still there. A part of it was what she had was too big and the elastic was dying. I mean, it was the same kind of thing. She refused to shop and I mean, there was... I think it was only, I think it was the October before my dad died. So October, 2016, he, they were here and I had to go to target for something. And he said, would you please take your mom and get her some new bras and underwear? I'm like, Oh, okay. Wow. That's direct. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, you know, thanks for the warning. Cause she's not real cooperative with that. And I tried so hard and she just refused. And I knew I had been with her the previous time that we had, purchased bras and she was a pain in the butt then so I knew how old they were I mean the elastic had given out they were not doing her any favors she wouldn't even do it for him so now I just I buy stuff for her like my sister took her shopping and bought my mom's always been real slender and her and her dad have no butt oh my grandfather's gone but they never had any fanny and so Pants don't always fit really well. They might fit around the waist and the hips, but in the back is not not great. Well, my sister got these very nice slacks, slender legs. Oh, they look great on my mom. She won't wear them because they're, they don't feel familiar. Mm. So I finally got to the point where I'm like, she was wearing the same thing over and over and over and giving them a hard time about changing. And so I took out all of the summery clothes out of her closet. I'm like, you've worn a three-quarter length sleeve sweater all summer, 105 degrees, smoke in the air from the other fires we had over the summer. <laughs> like, the California is just going to permanently be on fire. And I took, I took out probably a third of what was in her closet. And now we're having a lot better luck with, every time I go, she's wearing something different, which Does is... she dress herself or do they dress her? Um... I think they help. I know the gal that helps her with a shower has to, when she gets to work in the morning, a mom's shower day, which also happens to be a Monday, is one of them. That's one of the first things she does is tells, she'll go and tell my mom, oh, you know, to, you know we're going to take a shower today because if she gets there, my mom is in any state of dress, yeah. shower will not happen. Yeah. So we have, there's, you know, the memory care places have high turnover on staff because it's just, that's such a tough job. And there's about four of them where my mom's at that have been there the whole time she's been there. So about well, 20 months. Yeah. There's been some that have come and gone. And then there's the four that are just, they'll, they're, they're still there. I, I will not be happy when they, if they leave mm -hmm. and it's just, they they do a great job because I couldn't, when she was staying with us, trying to get her in the shower, it was just, it was like dealing with a snotty teenager or a toddler. I was like, I don't have time for this. We got things to do, places. You want to go see dad in the hospital? We got to do A, B, and C, get in the shower, eat. <laughs> it's just like, uh. And most listeners know, my dad just assumed my mom would come live with me. He never talked to me about it. Never, nothing. It was just an assumption. And my daughter did not move out until a month before he died. So I didn't even have a room for her. So that was really good planning. My husband and I have discussed it and we're pretty sure that he was having memory problems. It just was not obvious compared to her because uh -huh. he was diabetic. He was not good about watching his blood sugar it was a mess. I mean, his memory went 
all at once at the end. That's how he ended up in the hospital. They kept telling me, oh, well, you know, get some dialysis treatments done and his memory should return. Well, it never did. And I regret the month in the hospital because he didn't want to be on dialysis. His heart wasn't really strong enough for it. Had I understood what was going on, had he told me, you know, he had a donated kidney and it was not doing well. If he had told me it's failing, we need to make plans. I wouldn't have been thrilled, but it would have been a lot better for everybody, including him. So when were, what year did your parents get diagnosed? Because you said it was about six months apart. Yes, it was in 2004. Okay. They were still living independently at that time. They lived independently as long as they could. When my dad fell on my mom one night when she was trying to help him, I think his disease, illness, hastened her downfall, actually, because she was getting awakened many times a night because Mm -hmm. he had had a prostate cancer going along with everything else. He kept waking up in the night to go to the bathroom. She never got a good night's sleep. And I, I believe it brought her down. But the night that she was uh, helping him stand up, he, he not intentionally, but he fell on her. She called me the next day and said, guess what? I put your dad in the, in the nursing home for 10 days, just 10 days so I can get some sleep. But he never, while he was there, then he, I think of a nursing home as a safe place, but he fell, he tried to walk. He was always trying to walk and he couldn't walk. And he fell and broke his hip. So he... He was there. She was home alone. It was the fall, uh, the winter, and she was actually, they lived in a condominium unit with three other families, and they were all gone for the winter, and she was there by herself trying to shovel and do everything that needed to be done in Montana in the winter, and I worried, I worried incessantly. I kept asking them and and just begging them to, to her to move Closer to me, I was two hours away from them. And she just kept saying, no, I'll stay here. I was born here. I'll die here. But eventually that winter was so rough on her. She called me one day and said, I'm going to move. So I acted immediately I, before she could change her mind. And we collected both of them. I mean, it took a few weeks, but we still went down there and got them prepared to move, brought them back to where I live. And, and my dad went right into memory care. And my mom had, went into assisted living. Um, she was still doing well enough on her own that she could live with assistance. So that brings me to one of my first questions, you know, looking back, cause obviously, you know, you have quite a bit of hindsight. You have any like advice or tips because I've talked to a lot of people whose parents are the same way. And I personally, my dad's mom is still alive. She will be 101 on March 28th. Yes. And she's fantastic. Mind is great, physically fine. She's mostly blind from glaucoma. And she would love the assisted living where my mom is at. She would love it because she would have people at her beck and call. And she would love it. Will not consider it. Mm -hmm. Um, Late summer, early fall, the fan, exhaust fan in her bathroom caught fire. And my husband does property management, so she calls him and he sends handyman out there and the handyman is just shaking his head going that house is no no no, that house bad we're like yeah we know you know it's just it hasn't had my grandfather passed away and uh was either i think it was 97 yeah 97 and here it is 2018 so we're talking 21 years next month and he they both grew up in the depression and they both grew up very poor 
And so they weren't big spenders. And, you know, he only fixed things when he had to. So the house needs a lot of help. He added on to it and did things to it that are probably not permitted. And it's just, you know, my house is like 11 and a half years old and there's stuff that needs to be done here. It's like, didn't we just move in? But yeah, she insists after watching what was not the most pleasant way to go for my dad at home, she still insists on she'll just live and die in her house. And it's like, that's what my parents insisted on too. I think it's partly generational. And I have told all of my friends, many of them are older, not a lot older, but they're older than me. And I tell them, I'm like, don't assume you're going to die at home. Just don't get that out of your head right now. Like, don't make me hit you with a bike tire or something. Cause <laughs> just get it out of your head. Because I said, yes, they're expensive, but the assisted living, I said, I think they help prolong people's life because there's less worry. There's less stress. There's, I think it's just the peace of mind helps them, but you know, you went through that whole, you know, I'm going to stay here and die here. And your mom obviously came to the conclusion herself that dad needed to go somewhere and then they both needed to go somewhere. But do you have any hindsight wisdom you can pass on to any of us to help move the parents in the direction they need to go? If you can figure out a way to help let them think it was their choice. <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure. I, I know. I, I just kept encouraging them and saying it would be easier here. It would be easier here. And she kept saying, no, I think comfort and familiarity of the surroundings holds people that in all their friends, their church family, everything that they'd known for 80 years was there. I understand why she didn't want to move. And believe me, after I got them up here, there were days I wished that they had stayed. <laughs> I do not like to admit that, but it, it was so stressful being a caregiver that I wanted to put them on the bus and send them back. <laughs> Anywhere but here. Yeah, no, I can relate. I tell people I'm so grateful my parents' house is paid for and they have ridiculously pro property, low property taxes because of some legislation that happened in California in the late 70s. And I mean, their property taxes per year are what mine are per month, oh give or God. take. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So they, although the house is 47 years old and I'm still waiting for the estimate on the new heating and air conditioning system that's going to have to go in and the tenants are you know, probably using the fireplace to keep warm right now, which it's fortunately not really cold here, not compared to Minnesota but <laughs> or Montana. I forget, which one are you in again? Montana. Montana, okay. Um, but still, there's your delivery. I'll oh, go ahead with your thought. If there were a way to find good home health care and let them stay in their home, I think that is ideal because of the familiarity. I think they can function longer when everything is what it has always been. But it's finding those quality people that can come in and do the job. If there were more of them, I think that people would be able to stay home longer. 
I agree. My grandmother had a friend. Um, she, she passed a couple years ago, but her health and memory were de- declining. And she had a gal from their church that came in and did a lot of stuff for her. And, you know, we, my dad even tried to get my grandmother to do that. And she just, well, she refused. My mom, my mom was very resistant to that too. I said, why don't we have someone come in and bring meals or help you clean or, or just tidy up a little bit? No, I can do it myself. It was the response I always got. So I, I mean, in the end, I, they did move and, and I, I agree the assisted living facility, she was all alone there, no one to talk to. And this gave her a chance to be around people, but she tended to just stay in her little apartment and she'd go out for meals. But, um, I, I, yes, I had great hopes. I had such expectations that she would get there and be part of a bridge group and uh, the red hat society and, and the little exercise group and they would go shopping. The bus would take them to the dollar store or Albertsons or whatever. And, you know, it, it, for a time she participated, but she just one by one things dropped off. And maybe that was because she was having trouble understanding and communicating. And it was just a natural thing to happen, but it, my, my expectations were higher than, <laughs> than the actual reality situation. Well, you and I are similar because our moms sound similar. And when my sister and I moved mom into her memory residence, um, one of the reasons that was the choice was because of the activities. And we felt you know, she was always creative. She did painting. She did woodworking in her later years until her, I think it got too challenging with the memory. I think it was, she couldn't fake it anymore. She was That's really good at that. Yeah. Um, just, you know, they had, you know, they have a little exercise cloud that according to the activity sheet they do, but I've never seen it, but I do go after lunch and the activities aren't quite as robust as the list would have you believe, but I think that's because the residents are not capable of doing a lot of this stuff. They do a lot of coloring. They'll bounce a beach ball back and forth. My mom doesn't do any of that, but she does socialize a lot. And what's funny is the friend of hers that moved out just a couple weeks ago, right before, right at the beginning of the month, her name, my mom's name is Diane. Her friend's name was Diane and there was a third Diane. So now we're down to two, which is easier because I would say, well, let's go see what your friend Diane's doing. And my mom would say, well, I'm Diane. I'm like, yes, I know. We're going to go find the other Diane. <laughs> and then sometimes it was like the other, other Diane. <laughs> <laughs> and yesterday, as I meant to trim my mom's nails and do a little quick manicure on her on Thanksgiving and got too busy and forgot that it was necessary. And when my husband said, well, what are you going to do with mom today? And I said, well, I think I'm going to take her to the nail place. And he goes, oh, yeah, you need to do that. Her nails are out of control. I'm like, yeah, I meant to do that on Thanksgiving. So I, I show up and I tell the, the staff, you know, I'm going to take mom to the nail place. And she'd been sitting in the living area with her, her friend Diane. And her friend's like, well, can I come? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> like, she wants to go too. Is it okay? <laughs> and I always took the other Diane with me too. So, mm-hmm. you know, they um, called her daughter and... Um, they didn't get a hold of her before we left, but they, they're like, they were sure they were 
assured that it would be fine and it was and then now the daughter feels obligated because I convinced her mom her mom needed her nails done too and so now now I think I have another family member that will kind of look out for my mom too because I'm looking out for her mom so that's how I handle the um cord is so frustrating there we go um that's how I handle I try to be a help you know I don't ask the staff to do stuff for me you know and People think I'm insane because I've taken, you know, my mom and one of her friends to the park. I've taken them to the regional park and we've done a little wandering around in the hills. People tease me because what you brought them back. (laughs) And I didn't leave the old ladies out in the hills just to like fight off the coyotes. It's crazy. But that's, that's why we picked where she's at for the activities. And basically all she does is socialize. So, which is good for her. And that was why we picked where my parents went was the activity. So yeah, it's hard to play bridge with three people. Yeah. I remember reading that in the book. I'm not a bridge player, so I'm not super familiar, but I know enough that you need four people. And if they muddle through with three for a while, that's pretty, pretty good. That probably helped her mind. It probably did. Now, did she end up having to relocate to the memory community part? Eventually I moved them both to another facility so that they had rooms next door to each other. Um, it was a very much smaller unit than where they had come from. And the staff turnover was much less. In fact, some of the people had been there close to 10 years. Oh, so wow. Looking for a little more stability. And she was so angry with me when I moved them. She wouldn't, she, she told my husband, well, we planned it so that I would pack up their other house because she was so upset with me that I was moving them and my husband actually helped them settle into their new rooms and she told him to tell me she didn't want me to come visit her ever again and then about three days later I got a phone call from her saying why haven't you been out to visit (laughs) so actually I was kind of glad when she didn't want to see me for a while (laughs) and there's days I for weeks you know I feel bad guilty that I only go once a week I feel guilty yeah no I feel guilty all the time but it's like you know I there's there's not that much I can do with her I'm I don't know how and now that they're done with the renovations I've said this a lot so I'm jogging my own memory but I need I have a little tiny recording device and I need to sneak in and find out what kind of conversations these two ladies have because they'll sit there for hours and my sister made the comment on Thanksgiving, you know, she doesn't take mom out anymore, which I was a little bit surprised, but my sister's life is more, is busier. She's got two school age kids and she works full time outside the house. So she's got a lot more going on, harder to juggle mom visits. And, you know, she, she was surprised that I, I take mom out almost all the time. I'm like, I can't, there, at least it gives us something to talk about. We go to the Pete's coffee and tea because we're tea people mm-hmm. you know she'll you know a lot of times she'll talk about how busy the place is because we went to tea last week and she kept saying oh this place is really busy which I was kind of surprised how busy it was at three o'clock in the afternoon myself but you know it gives us at least a little different stimulation and I figure she won't be able to do it forever so I might as well have these little adventures with her while I can Yes, that's true. I took my mom out. I would take her shopping. We would go, and she would sit on the, the little electric um, 
see what device that you could go around in Target or in the grocery stores. And she thought that was a lot of fun until she stopped. She would run into the display to help her maneuver down the aisles. But that was, I'd always wash and fix her hair for her every week. Um, And you're right, though, the conversation would lag. Sometimes we would just sit together and hold hands. I would sit between my parents and hold their hands and I guess to just soak up having them next to me. And that's why I like to go out because she loves to look at the sky and the trees and, you know, they have a beautiful courtyard where they're at, but it's the same courtyard every day. So we go out, we're blessed. There's two regional parks super close to where she's at. Over the summer, I took her and her friend Diane to our um, city park with the splash zone because being moms and grandmas, they absolutely love to watch the kids Mm-hmm. And they were having such a good time that day. I thought, you know, um, I was like, uh, it's about 105 degrees now, ladies. Could we please leave? Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have like tons of water. So I was concerned they'd get dehydrated. And Sure. But they got to, it was funny. It got to a point where my mom said, she looked around. I don't think I know where my room is. Mm-hmm. And she said the same thing on Thanksgiving. And I'm like, oh, that's the sign. Better take her back. You know, mm-hmm. don't, don't push it. Um, but you know, one of the things you talked about in your book was mentally adjusting your thinking in regards to your, you know, the, the, your parents' abilities, your mom's abilities, and how would you advise someone go about making this adjustment? Cause I think that's, that's one of the hardest things to come to grips with. It took me, I don't know, maybe nine months after she moved in. I don't know, maybe longer. It might have been a gradual acceptance. That's why I don't remember kind of an aha moment like, yeah, mom really can't do this stuff. I think that that's probably true for most of us, that it is a gradual awareness that we we gain. Just remembering that often I would tell myself over and over, it's the disease talking. This isn't my mom. This is the disease talking. And you said she was a little bit, in the book, you talk about her being negative and not always positive in your direction. I, I experienced some of that with my dad, which yeah. fortunately didn't you know, last accused, as long as it did for you. Accused me of stealing her money and she, I, everything I did was wrong. She, it, it was difficult. And there are some times when I, I would try to reason with her, which I learned didn't work. And I would um, try to, I think the best thing to do is just, I learned to just let her go on about it until she wound down and then change the subject, like ask her something about, well, what'd you have for lunch today? And just completely not talk about it. And she usually would go on and forget what she had said or redirect, redirect the conversation when she wound down. I think that worked the, the very best for me. Um, and to keep reminding myself, you know, this is the disease talking. Um, there were times I lost it, though. I would cry. It would hurt me so much. I would burst into tears and cry on the phone. And um, I think only once do I remember actually hanging up on her. And that was early on before there was even a diagnosis. We were still struggling to figure out what was going on. She'd always been kind of a 
snippy person. <laughs> so when she acted that way, a lot of the, a lot of years, I think we just accepted that as who she was. I think she had Alzheimer's going for quite a few years before it was. There was so much cover up, and when she didn't live in the same town as I did, it was easy for her to fake it pretty well. But you know, things like not recognizing her granddaughter um, should have tipped us off. I'm amazed how ignorant I was. I, I, I encourage people to be educated, know what you're looking at when you see it. It was there in front of us in living color, but none of us really, it wasn't even, I don't think we were denying it. We just didn't even think what it could be other than she was just um, really stressed out taking care of my dad and, and uh, old age forgetfulness. And it, it really was so much more than that. We, I think okay. there needs to be an educational campaign that memory loss is not necessarily, is almost 100% not age related. It's like losing your memory is not a function of old age. Well, if it's, you know, extreme memory disruption, that uh, you, your short-term memory is gone, you're forgetting appointments, you're forgetting, you're repeating the same thing over and over and over and telling the same stories over and over and over and have no awareness that you're doing that, I think that that should be a huge red flag for anybody. Um, Mom didn't do that so much. She, she did other things. but um, That's the other challenge is everybody's brain is different, so the disease affects everybody differently. And so what, even though just reading your book, your mom and my mom sound very similar and our experiences sound very similar, there's probably this huge part that's 100% different just because they're different people. And, you know, other people, their family members don't present in the same way as like my mom or your mom or, you know, and it's, it's always, I'm always talking about moms because I don't, I haven't talked to anybody who had a dad with Alzheimer's yet. Might have to make that a, a plan. <laughs> Seek one of them out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It does affect more women though. We do know that. It does. I hope they find out why soon. Yeah, well, one of the things they've decided is we live longer, so we're more apt to come down with it because yeah. we're around longer um, and maybe more stress. Uh, we we do stress differently than men. That is true. Mm-hmm. Although I think they hold it in more. I don't know. There's something they'll they'll yeah. figure it out someday. Yeah. I hope I'm around when they do because it'll be the biggest aha. Yeah, be like that's why it affects women more. Whatever it'll be, uh, you know, with a grandmother that's almost one hundred and one, chances are I'll be around for another fifty or so years. Wow. <laughs> she says she, we, my my dad, we had his service, and then two weeks later he was interned at the military cemetery. Not well, it's not close. It's not far from here, but it's not close either. And unfortunately, that was on her actual birthday. So we tried to make it somewhat festive afterwards. And my sister made a comment, something, she was 99 that day. And my sister said something and my grandmother said, Oh, I'm shooting for 105. And I remember thinking that day, I I was like 50 and a quarter. And I remember thinking, I am so freaking exhausted. The thought of another 55 years is a nightmare. Now I don't feel that way now. I tell all my friends, I'm 52 now, so I tell all my friends, I'm like, hey, I'm at the beginning of stage two. You people are stuck with me for a long time. (laughs) So there's a lot of things I hope to see, you know, when I'm 90. 
mm-hmm. you know, how history talks about the present day and, mm-hmm. you know, we, do we have flying cars or autonomous? You know, it's like I look back at the technology when I was a kid, which wasn't really much, and what we have now, and it's like, wow, what's it going to be like in another 40 years? It'll be crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, they just landed a Explorer thingy on Mars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, wow, that's just crazy. Amazing. So um, we talked about, I almost forgot, you have a sibling who did not, did not volunteer to help do much of the care. That was supposed to be the whole point of this conversation today. <laughs> So your brother and sister-in-law just do you do you have a sense of why they didn't help? Was it family dynamics from the past? Yeah, that's not that's pretty typical. My brother is about 15 years older than I am. So he did, lives several states away and he just told me I, I prefer to remember them the way they are. You're there, you know. <laughs> So he really he missed out on a lot of things, a lot of sad things and a lot of happy things by not being available. Uh, in fact, there were times, there was one time in particular that I actually begged him to come I, when I was in the process of moving my parents from one facility to another. And my mom would call me several times a day hollering at me. And um, I'd finally just have my husband answer the phone or not answer the phone because I it was I was getting to the end of my rope and I didn't want to yell at her, but he he just said, "Is this a bad phone connection? I can't hear what you're saying." <laughs> and it was it was eye opening to me. I realized that I was on my own at that point. And what I I've talked to a lot of people since then, and they've amazingly I ha- I look at this a little bit differently now based on conversations I've had with people that have said, oh, you're so lucky that he didn't want to help. My, my sister or my brother, or my siblings, all they did was argue with me about the decisions that we had to make. Nobody could agree on anything. And it just became a big fight between the whole family about what was going to happen. You're so lucky you could just make the decision on your own and not have to worry about other people. And that was, gave me a whole new perspective. <laughs> it... I guess that I think that there were, there were good points and bad points. Like the good point was, yes, I didn't have to, to run anything by him because he, he really didn't want to know anything. But on the other hand, it sure would have been nice to have that nuclear family, other person that I could have leaned on a little bit. I can relate. My sister and I are polar opposite personalities. So we never, and we're four and a half years apart. She's younger, never got along. Because, you know, we're oil and water, you know, just Mm -hmm. fight all the time. Didn't talk to each other for seven years prior to my dad going in the hospital. So there was a lot of trepidation, a lot of like, oh boy, you know, this is going to not be fun. And we've actually done really well. Um, I am my mom's healthcare power of attorney. And so I, I get to make all those decisions, which yay, but not so yay. Um, and she's a very strong personality. She she likes things done her way. So you either do them willingly or you do them unwillingly. That's generally your options. I think she's mellowed. She's got a son that's on the autism spectrum. So I think he's taught her 
some different perspectives on life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't push, you know, I try, I try to keep her informed and then, but I try to keep it. I don't tell her everything. And then, but I, I don't keep any big things from her. Although I don't, not sure I told her that mom has a neurology appointment next week. I have to mm-hmm. check that out. <laughs> and that's mostly, we're doing that because we had to get a new doctor. Her doctor left the practice. So we have a nurse practitioner the nurse practitioner is asking me all these questions. I'm like, I don't know. My parents never shared any of this information with me. I have no idea anything. Cause she asked me, do they have a neurologist? I'm like, I don't know. And I felt like an idiot cause, cause that was pretty much my answer. I don't know. So she's like, well, why don't we set her up with a new neurologist? And I'm looking at her like, why? And she, you know, my mom's in the room. So we're, we're having a, a mental conversation and then a conversation that included mom and one that was between the two of us. It was really fascinating. And I looked at her and I could tell she was trying to mind meld me a, a comment. And I said, would it give me maybe an a, a outlook on the timeline? Because my maternal grandmother had what I believe was undiagnosed Alzheimer's. She got it about the age my mom is now. My mom will be 76 in January and died at 91. So my mom is almost 76. She's had Alzheimer's for at least 18 years. And we... Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, when I go to my support group, you know, they go around, and they say who they are and who they're caring for and how old the person is. And it's like, I mentally go, yep, my mom's the youngest and she's had Alzheimer's the longest. I win. Wow. <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm generally, unless there's grandchildren caregivers, I'm also the youngest one in the room. Not a lot, but enough. Um, so it's, it's interesting. She, was she diagnosed 18 years ago? No, we had a family business together. We had a photography studio and photo lab. And it actually started in 1995. She would take orders from clients and not write down directions and due dates and when they would expect to come pick things up. And, it, you know, in 95, it was like, okay, you thought you'd do it, but today is your day off. So why you didn't do it before you left for your day off? I don't know. It was very easy to dismiss. Absolutely. I know that. I know that. And she had been in a very serious car accident December of 91. And I think that may have actually triggered things. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the trauma to her face, just from the accident, she hit the steering wheel with her face. Um, but from, and then my husband and I have, we've basically tried to go backwards in time. And like, when did we really know that mom had a problem? This was like 96 when my grandmother started showing really significant signs of memory loss. And so we know it was somewhere between 96 and 2000. So I figure, you know, somewhere around, you know, 99, 2000. Yeah. And so my sister makes the comment, well, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine that she'll live to 91. Financially, we, we try to make sure that her money will last that long. I don't know that I will last that long if I have to deal with her that long. Oh, yeah, yeah. The um, memory care doctor earlier this year did not think that 91 was even realistic. I figured 10 years. Mm-hmm. He didn't think 10 years was terribly realistic because they forget to chew properly and they aspirate food and they die from pneumonia. My mom just quit eating. That's typical at the end of life. Mm -hmm. My dad did that at the very end. My dad went literally 
fighting every step of the way because he didn't understand he was dying to the last week was just was awful. My mom took four months of not really eating. Oh, my God. She took a little bite now and then. but Just she, enough to keep her going. She was a skeleton. Ugh, that must have been awful. It was difficult. <laughs> I mean, my mom's already, she's, well, she used to be 5'4". She's hunched over now. Um, I'm 5'2", so she's about that height now. Mm-hmm. And she weighs 103 pounds, which mm-hmm. is about the absolute bottom for our height. Mm-hmm. I wish I was closer to the bottom, but <laughs> not quite that low. Um, so it's hard to imagine. You know, she's not really frail, but she acts frail. It's interesting. We were at the um, one of the regional parks, and it's we walked across like a picnic area that was short, grassy, but a lot of leaves had fallen on the ground. And she literally kept putting out one foot tentatively to see, you know, was it solid? Would she fall? And it was like, Mm -hmm. mom, I'm walking across, you know, like, just follow me. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting because that was the first time I've ever witnessed her, you know, obviously a cognitive issue. She had no, Mm -hmm. no, um, Ability to understand that the terrain was not mm-hmm. super hazardous. I mean, you needed to be careful. There were tree branches that had fallen out of the trees, and you didn't want to step on those because you know they might, you know, you oh, might slide. Balance becomes an issue too. So she maybe is having a little balance issue. She doesn't seem like it. That's why I'm I'm very interested to see what the neurologist has to say. I hope they're, you know, because I'm sure they're going to be reluctant to. It's like, I just want your professional opinion. I'm not going to hold you to it. Yeah, they won't want to give you dates or anything. Well, no, I don't want to. I just want like a, just like, what's your, my, my dad always called it a swag, a scientific wild ass guess. <laughs> that's what I'm going to tell him. My dad always said, give me your swag. And that's what I'm going to tell him. I just need something. You know, <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep assuming 20 years or, you know, 15 years or five, you know, it's like, just give me, you know. If you say five and she lives for seven, I'm not going to come back here and sue you. If you'd like me to write that down, I'll write it down. I just need information. That's been the hardest part is I yeah. don't have a clue. If you don't know what your mom's going to do. My, I, my mom would have lasted longer if she hadn't just quit, mostly quit eating. But she just was done. She really, really wanted to be done. And she knew, she was aware enough to know that if she, she would turn her head, they would try to cajole her and get her to, to try to you know, take some nourishment and she just really didn't want to. And it became an issue because she didn't want to. And they were trying to force feed her that I had to intervene because her wishes were, you know, no, no. Yeah. It would be made. And, and I think what's, what was her quality of life? Should I have had them force feed her and keep her alive as long as possible? No, no. Um, So I felt I was honoring her wishes by speaking with the, hospice nurse and who spoke with the facility but of course they took it wrong and thought I want them to withhold food from her <laughs> so I was like no I don't care she can have pizza or chocolate sundaes every meal I you know she can have whatever she wants but it's just the fact I would prefer that you're not try to force her to eat yeah that's some of the answers I'm going to have to deal with sooner or later we have a friend my husband and I have a friend who's Husband had a slow growing cancer like your dad and Alzheimer's 
and he was in a board and care home and her instructions were to the staff that you could help him eat, but you could not feed him. Uh And one of these days I'm going to have to get with her and ask, you know, exactly how, how do you go about that? If they're, they can't physically get the food to their face. I mean, I don't care if my mom uses her fingers, you know, she still uses utensils pretty well. Um, you know, I don't, like you said, you know, if it's finger food, that's fine. But I, I'm wondering how, how that went over. Yeah, I'm not sure I understand what that means. <laughs> well, they couldn't basically feed him like you would an infant. So and I, how and her parents help? Had, How they, would they help them eat, help them hold the fork? I guess so. I mean, like I said, I'm going to have to ask her about that because I want my mom to have a good quality of life as best as possible. I don't want to prolong it. Uh-huh. Like when the memory care doctor said, you know, a lot of times they aspirate food and get pneumonia. And this is a blessing that my dad gave me sort of <laughs> because I'm the healthcare provider, power of attorney person, whatever that's called. If my mom gets pneumonia, it's, it's hospice. There's no, oh. I know it's easy to fix, but. Yeah. What do you think about flu shots? She did get one when we were at the doctor. Why? Um, we were there. I, I, and then afterwards I'm like, why, why, you know? So I don't know. So I think they thought maybe I was a poor, a poor caregiver when I was telling the, the facility, they, no, they don't need a flu shot. I, my, my dad, neither of them wanted to live in that condition. Yeah. My mom always said, well, I don't want to end up like my mother. Oh, oh, <laughs> we yeah. had conversations. There was a day at the studio I always got there first and I was going through orders. We had an employee who was great at get work done, but you know, the five by sevens were printed two on a page. They need to be cut, put two, you know, and the wallets were, mm-hmm. I think they were eight on a page. I don't pretty sure they were eight on a page and we had a punch. You needed to punch. Well, they'd get all the work done and then it'd all be in the work envelopes. Not nothing cut. And I never quite understood the justification, but I think a lot of it was because they were aware my mom's memory wasn't great. It was easier to leave easy tasks for her. So I'm thinking, you know, looking back with hindsight, I think that's why they did it. But I showed up. I, that was, there was a huge stack of things that needed to be trimmed and cut. So I'm like, I'm just going to leave that for her. But there was one order she had taken, same thing, no directions, no clue. I'm like, mom, what am I supposed to do with this order for Mrs. Smith? And she looked at it and she said, well, I don't know. The employee, that's the employee's handwriting. And I was like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I said, no, mom, that's actually your handwriting. And I picked up one, an order with the employee's handwriting. It was like 100% different. Like, this is Melania's handwriting. Think and my mom. Terrifying that was for your mom. Oh, yeah. Because she watched her mom. And she was, she was kind of like your brother. I mean, um, my aunt took care of my grandmother. They're about 40 minutes away. My mom did not go visit very often. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it was because she knew it was coming. She didn't want to see her future. And I'm sure she felt guilty about that. And yeah. I look back because my, my mom's the oldest of four. Her sister's the youngest. She took care of my grandmother. They lived on my grandmother's social security. So guess what happened when my grandmother died? Now my aunt's destitute. She's on welfare. She's on section eight. And I'm like, 
why in the hell did they let this happen? So I haven't even broached that with family. That was one of our first options was to have my aunt move in with my mom. Mm -hmm. And we'd hire a caregiver to be there either during the day or at night, whatever my aunt wanted. I figured we'd at least get somebody eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. And then we had an incident where my aunt's memory was really bad. And my aunt is an alcoholic. So I, we thought she was drunk. She kind of acted drunk. And my sister and I were both at my mom's house. And the can of soda my aunt had, my sister sniffed it, took a swig. Nope, that wasn't spiked. We went through her purse. I mean, like literally hunted down. We're thinking, where'd she get the booze? And couldn't find any of it. It turned out her medication was all out of whack. And I had already kind of decided I wasn't super keen on that I that plan of having the aunt move in with mom because I think my mom's 11 years older so obviously my mom's gonna go first unless something really weird happens we'd have to let my aunt live in the house until she got her housing voucher back and I'm like that could be like two or three years and You know, would she be okay? Because it's a four-bedroom house. Would she be okay with two roommates to offset some of the, you know, not that the expenses on the house are great, but, you know, I'm not paying for them. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of got to that point where I'm like, eh, I'm not sure this is a great idea. And like I said earlier, I'm, I fight it. My dad was a pessimist. I can be a pessimist if I, if I allow it. And so I just sat back one day and thought, okay, what's all the really bad things that could happen? And once I went through them all in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, we're not doing that. And that's when I started looking for the, you know, the memory care. Mm -hmm. And there's actually one that's a mile down the hill from my house, but it is not as nice as the one that put took that mom lives in. So investigated. Yeah. It just, and you talked about, I think in the book about, um, you know, researching and um, going multiple times. I didn't do that. Oh, well, (laughs) sometimes you look out. Yeah, we did. And after reading the book, I'm like, you know, well, I, I did go to the two that were closest. There's a assisted living community, like a mile and a half from here, but she wouldn't qualify for that. Um, and I did consider board and care homes. There were two that were in my neighborhood. I don't know if they're still here. And I thought, oh, that'd be great. I could walk the dogs down there and we could take uh-huh. the, her dog for a walk. But I was concerned that one, the board and care wouldn't take her dog. And two, um, that she would wander off. Uh-huh. Um, you know, having lived in your house for 47 years and now you're uprooted and uh-huh. that was, you know, so hard on them to move. Oh my goodness. Oh, it was horrible. I've, I've said on previous episodes that was moving her into the memory community was worse than the day my dad died. Wow. Well, I feel so, I feel so guilty that I had to move them twice. And yeah. That must've been really hard. It was, yeah, that there's like, the guilt factor. I don't know a caregiver really that doesn't carry around a bucket of guilt for one thing or another. And I try to, that's one of the reasons for the podcast, like telling people our stories, you know, I know it'll resonate with other people. Like I said, reading your book sounds a lot like my experiences and they're all, there's similarities in all of them yet. They're all different, but a lot of things that, that are similar. For sure. We can all be shaking our heads up and down. Yeah. When everybody's got guilt, what was it two months ago at the caregiver support group? Because mom had been wearing the same clothes every time I'd go. And then I've looked back at pictures that I've taken of her. 
And I was like, okay, this woman wore that sweater to death. <laughs> I wish. So I went to the support group and I said, look, you know, they, because of the change in the residency, they changed her shower schedule. I found out they were trying to shower her in the afternoon, which is just a, uh-uh. My mother was never an afternoon shower person, not evening. You know, my daughter's an evening shower person and I, I don't get it. I mean, I do, but it's like, no, <laughs> I'm a morning shower person. Thanks. So I told them, because I'd asked them, is she giving you a hard time about getting dressed, changing clothes? And they said, yeah, she's giving us a hard time about the shower. And I'm like, oh, that explains the smell of my car last time. <laughs> I got in my car the next day. And I'm like, why does my car smell like old lady nursing home? <laughs> it's only a two-year-old car. This is terrible. So I'm like, okay, well, now I'm glad it wasn't like me losing my mind. <laughs> so I went to the support. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I got, went to the support group and it was actually a smaller group than normal. And I said, how do I help them help her wear different clothes? Yeah. And there was like, I think two thirds of all of us there were like, oh yeah, we have the same problem. And wow. uh, one gal who's got way more than she can handle said, if they're dressed appropriately, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, well, you know, when she's got a black sweater on a navy blue pants and I take her out, does it matter? No, but she's not combing and styling her hair. So I, it looks like I picked up the homeless lady on the corner. You know, and I'm not embarrassed by her. I just don't want people to think that I'm neglecting her because, you know, people are so weird There's nowadays. It's the guilt thing. You know, yeah. People think what will people think? And we have to go boldly forward and leave that behind because otherwise we'll be eaten alive by guilt. Oh, true. Well, I was at the... Um, I had to do one errand before I went and visited mom yesterday. And as I drove to where she's at, I'm like, you know what? The nail places were on my way. So I swung in there and I said, Hey, do you have time to do a manicure on mom? Blah, blah, blah. And they go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When you want to come back? I'm like, mom's like five minutes from here. I'll be back within half an hour. And then I show up half an hour and I got two of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Hey, I brought you a spare. So, you know, it's all good. Extra money for you guys. But I leaned over to the nail gal and said, you know, both of these ladies have Alzheimer's. You know, I said it quietly so they couldn't hear me, mm-hmm. but so that they could understand because, you know, they ask a question and they've got heavy accents and they've got the mask on to protect them from the dust and chemicals. And my mom couldn't understand that poor lady to save her soul. <laughs> and, you know, her friend kept saying, asking do you know so-and-so? Cause she was convinced her daughter lived close by and she thought that her daughter probably went to the same nail place. And it was like, Oh, I'm so glad I explained to them what the mm-hmm. issue is. And it's like, you know what? They were fine. The ladies were fine. The nail gals were fine. It was a nice afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I found a polish that was like, um, almost a rusty red. It wasn't like a bright, vibrant Christmassy red, but it was, it was more of a subdued, a little bit sparkly. It was a good old lady red color. <laughs> My mom used to get like almost flesh tone nail polish for the longest time. So she really resists dark colors, but both ladies love their nails, showing off all the ladies in the residence and the care staff. And so it was a nice afternoon for them. It's given her an opportunity to try something different. That's true. And I figured, you know, she's, she's not going to remember who picked out the color. I mean, they gave me two binders of colors. I'm like, this is too many for me to pick. Yeah, I (laughs) I open it up. I'm like, that red looks good. (laughs) Yeah. It was crazy. But yeah, the, you know, the, 
when the two thirds of the support group needed the same question answered, how do we, how do we deal with the not changing clothes, not taking showers? I was like, Oh good. I, I'm not the only one that has this issue. Oh, absolutely not. And so that's why I try to share with listeners is like, you know, everybody's journey is different, but like we said, it's similar. Mm -hmm. So I hope that we, you know, we can partake some wisdom, you know, hearing our stories hopefully helps people deal with their journey because Lord knows this is not a fun journey. Oh, this is true. And how, when, when did your parents pass away? They were diagnosed in 04. They, they were, though we have to realize my mom had it for years before she passed away um, March of 08. And my dad passed away a year later, a year and a day later on March. Oh, wow. Yeah. March. If my mom was on the 8th, my dad was on the 9th. Yep. 2009. So. So when did you write your book? I wrote my books. Well, my book began as a way of coping. It was something that I could do that was therapeutic from myself because it helped unload the stress so that my husband didn't bear it all. <laughs> I could write and write and write and write everything I, that could come out of me. I started that journal probably in 2005. And I just added to it, added to it, added to it. After about a year or two years, I thought, wow, I've learned an incredible amount of information. I wonder if someone else might find this useful. So I started thinking in terms of a book. But then I thought, no, no, I can't do this. Because for one thing, if my brother ever read it, he'd never speak to me again. And I can't dishonor my parents by putting it out there, all the things that happened that they did and I, I wouldn't want to embarrass them. So I, for three years, I didn't do anything. But a friend of mine whose mom had Alzheimer's said, asked to read it. And she read it and she said, I think you should share this with people. So then I shared it with a couple other friends whose parents had Alzheimer's or mothers. Um, and they were very encouraging to saying, you should publish this. And so I thought, wow. Well, so from start to finish was nine years. Uh, you know, it wasn't that it took me that long to, to write it or publish it. It just, there was a lot of starts and stops when the publisher, um, accepted my book. Then it was another year before it actually saw the light of day. It seems to take a long time to go through the publishing process. So Did you have to do a lot of editing. Um, you know, actually the, my daughter, who has a master's in linguistics, was my primary editor. I had several editors. The, when the publishing house took it, their editor said, I've never seen a cleaner manuscript. There was very little to do. Maybe That's awesome. Yeah, I had good editors. It wasn't me. I'm not saying that <laughs> I did it. I, I had great editors. That probably helped them pick it up. Yeah, I think so when they saw how clean it was, there, in their opinion anyway. Sure. And then how did you get connected to the All's Authors? The All's Authors came about in 2015, Marianne Shuko in New York, the Hudson Valley area. She had read Jean Lee, who lives in Ohio. She'd read her book and thought they were both about Alzheimer's. Why don't we elevate our books together, promote our books together? And she said, Jean, do you know anyone else? So we could have more than two of us. And Jean had read my book and I had read Jean's book, but we didn't know each other. So there were a couple other people that joined us and we began having a, like 
uh, promoting on graphics on Twitter or Facebook. And then we had a sale for our books and just things kind of perked along. And the following June of 2016, we decided maybe we would, we had created a website called All's Authors. And we thought it would be fun to find other people who had written books and try to lift them up too. I, the more the merrier. If you're going to read one book on Alzheimer's, you're going to read two books, right? So we thought, what if we could post an essay about their story behind the story of why they wrote their book or their blog? And we could, we could do that every day from the month of June, which is Alzheimer's um, and Brain Awareness Month. And we're, we thought, wow, that's quite a project. But we went into bestseller lists on Amazon and we searched through and we found people and wrote them and asked them if they wanted to write an essay for us. And at the end of the month, we had leftovers, left people that we hadn't had room for. So we thought, well, let's keep going. Let's see how long we can make this go. Maybe we could do one a week. So we started doing one a week. Meanwhile, we're still scouring the internet for other authors that wrote books that we thought were good quality and, and um, things perked along, and then all of a sudden, it started to shift. And in the, the last almost year, people have been seeking us, asking it how to become an Oz author. And we are booked through May of 2019 with essays. Oh, wow. So something clicked. <laughs> and we were all able to meet. Now, we've added three other people to our management team. Um, we have Carolyn, Catherine Harrison in Toronto and Anne Campanella in North Carolina and Irene Olson who lives in Redmond, Washington. And All of them are on the, I've interviewed Anne, Irene, Kathleen and Marianne are all on the list. Okay, there you go. And probably Jean too. Um, What's Jean's last name? Lee. I think I might be emailing with her. Okay. I might, I might have to nudge her some more. <laughs> we um, met for the first time outside of cyberspace, all of us together at the National Caregiving Conference in Chicago earlier this month. We'd never, ever seen, touched each other. And you can't even imagine what it was like to have all six of us, like, see each other in person. Um, Jean Lee and Anne and I had met previously. We'd gotten together. Um, but the, to have all six of us in one place, it was the most magnificent uh, like gathering that you can imagine. Just well, I, I followed it vicariously on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. And you guys else? were posting a lot. So I'm like, oh, I, I, I remember these guys. I follow them on Instagram. And so then I was way more interested. And Anne reached out to me. And then a couple weeks ago, I emailed her and said, hey, is there any more of the all's authors that would like to do this? Because I really like telling people's stories. And holy Toledo. Out of the woodwork, didn't we? Yeah, well, she just, I mean, some people are like, oh, yeah, I'll get around to that in a few days. And it was, you know, the week before Thanksgiving. So I, I wasn't anticipating, you know, immediate action. And I got immediate action. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> it goes to show that this uh, caregiving community is huge. Mm -hmm. And it's necessary to get together either online like we are. Or in person, if you can. I, I did encourage Anne and you guys, you know, Northern California is a nice place to visit. <laughs> yes, I agree. I've been there. Well, and our, our whole mission is to connect 
people that have been affected in some way by Alzheimer's and dementia with people, with people who care, whether they're caregivers or people who just care about it or people who write about it or blog about it. Our mission is to connect people together and reduce the stigma associated with the disease. Well, it was, I think, September of 2017. It might have even been earlier. When um, I think it was September, I had posted about the verbal altercation over the dog on Facebook. And a past client of mine who, um, I think she runs like a business coaching business in Tennessee. She used to be here in my hometown. And she they moved back there. And she said, you should write a book. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a bad idea. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, don't I have to wait till after she's gone? And that could be like 15, 20 years. So it wasn't, so that was September. And I think it was a year, a year ago, I was at the gym and I'm like, I should start a podcast because all the ones that are out there are either very technical um, I listened to one. Oh boy, that was it was cathartic for the guy on the other end. He was obviously basically releasing his pain into the internet, and I'm like, I no, no, I can't listen to that because I know I'll be there someday. And there's one gal that's been around a long time, and I just I don't connect very well with her podcast. I'm not. I do. I have opinions on why, and so I'm like, well, there has to be other people like me. So. I started my own literally in January, well, yeah, January last year thinking, oh, I'll release this, you know, my first couple episodes around mom's birthday, which is January 12th. Um, I launched May 1st because <laughs> everybody kept saying, well, you have to have, you know, a library of, of episodes and blah, 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 and uh, learning whole new skills. So to, are all of us. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's like, brain, Jan. yes, it is. That's what I tell people because I've been doing photography for 26 years. I can do it blindfolded. Two years ago, I had to do it. I broke my collarbone in a bicycle accident and yeah. that's not fun. Thankfully, most cyclists break their dominant collarbone. I broke my left one, which is unfortunately the side that I carry everything on. So that's kind of a problem because I've got a plate, but you know, I had an orthodontic office that needed photographing, and I think it was like 10 days after the surgery or two weeks. It wasn't very long. And I had my daughter and her fiancé. They were home from work that day, and I said, okay. Um, they had to move the light up and down, and I had to put my camera on a tripod, which is, is – it's that was terrible. <laughs> I hated it. But I managed. You know, it's like – it's. I, I could do it. So it's like, it's been exciting to learn new things. And, you know, yeah. it's I'm, been exciting to meet all these authors. One of the, my favorite parts of this is meeting new authors and learning their story and, and just getting to know them. It's been an amazing journey. I can't remember if it's Marianne or Irene, but one of them I think will probably have her on a second time because we were emailing and it was like, there's so much information you have that I think we could do multiple episodes. I'm like, let's just start with one. <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's been nice because, you know, I wasn't aware of any support groups or, you know, there's caregiver support group pages on Facebook, but who has time to read all that stuff? You know, I listen to podcasts while I make dinner, while I'm driving, while I get dressed, if I'm editing portraits, 
I make my husband crazy. Comes home, I'm like, one second, pause. <laughs> or if I have my headphones on, it's like, nope, I gotta pause it. Wait, wait, wait. So, and it's, and I've learned a lot of things. I listen to news, politics, and then fun ones. So it's like, I have a big mix of podcasts that I listen to, independent, the ones that are all, you know, highly produced from like the New York Times and stuff. So it's been exciting, but it, it's, Starting the podcast helped me find the um, the support groups, the, the you know the the support that I needed. I, I have one here in town, and it's great. But it's nice to be able to you know read a book or talk to somebody online or like this. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. this is online. <laughs> I think it is actually. Well, do you have any last bits of advice before I let you go for the evening? I see it's gotten dark behind you. <laughs> It's probably dark here too now that it's 435. I guess I'd like to say that as a caregiver, this is a season of time and it will pass. That's not something anybody said yet. So that's a very good one because there are days it feels like it'll never end. I'm sure you, <laughs> you're shaking your head. Yes, it's, it's not fun. But, you know, you you gained a book and new friends and... I'm sure my parents are smiling like, wow, look what you did. (laughs) Yeah. I sometimes wonder if my dad would approve, but I don't care. (laughs) You know, and there's times when I take pictures of my mom and, you know, I have pictures of her with the headphones on and stuff. And it's like, is this exploitive? I'm like, you know what? Someday nobody's going to care because she'll be gone and I'll have all these fantastic pictures that I use for the podcast and my social media and all that. And I have all these pictures. Does she like music? Do you play music? Does she like music? Yeah, not really. That's kind of how I started is Mm -hmm. I was desperately trying to find ways to connect with her better Mm -hmm. because, you know, like my sister said on Thanksgiving, after 20 minutes, you just lose your mind because it's the same thing for 20 minutes. And all of the traditional advice did not apply. The photo albums, my... No. I read that and went through, I had the same thing. My mom didn't know who anybody was. She thought that she was me. And every picture she would ask me the same, who's that? Who's that? It's you, mom. Who's that? Who's that? That's you, mom. I mean, it, it, yeah, it was really... A, a, That's funny. Yeah. yeah, I have... My sister made a scrapbook of the two of us. Now, my sister is... We're the same height. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much where the similarities end. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could weigh as little as she does, I'd be thrilled. And I know she hates it because, you know, it starts creeping up and it gets, you know, we don't like that. Um, she's got dark brown hair, olive skin, chocolate brown eyes. I'm blonde, pale. You know, God forbid I go out in the sun for very long. <laughs> she tans through the car windows. I sunburn. There's very little similarity. So in this scrapbook, there's the blonde kid and the brown haired kid. And my mom could not keep us straight. Uh And yesterday when I was visiting, I brought, I took away the fall wreath and brought in the Christmassy wreath and I, she and her friend were talking and I said, I'll just go hang this up on your door and then we can all go to the nail place. And as I'm walking down the hall, I hear my mom saying, that's my sister. And I'm like, oh, no, I think just letting it all go. I think if I went back and did the pictures again, I just think I would just look at the pictures and not try to have her tell me who, who they were or what was going on or anything else. And, and my dad would call me his aunt all the time. I just 
let it go. It's okay. I do. I for a long time I've been her friend, so I don't know how I resorted back to being my aunt. Now, if you take a photograph of my mom at five, my aunt at five, my sister at five, and my daughter at five, make them all black and white, they all look like the same person. Oh my gosh. I don't look like my aunt. I don't talk like my aunt. My aunt and I don't have very many similarities. So why she thinks I'm her sister, I don't have a clue. Yeah, it's okay. It is frustrating, but you know, I don't, okay. I, I, most of the time it rolls off my back. When she refers to me as her friend, it's like, yeah, whatever. I remind myself, at least she knows I'm important. I'm yeah. not just some stranger. Exactly. Because my, my mom, it, at one point, my mom, it would come and go. She would go, who are you? <laughs> and it was like, well, I'm your daughter. And then five minutes later, she would remember who I am. But the next time I came, I'd have to tell her again who I was. Yeah, so I, that's how the podcast started. It's the music didn't work. The photo albums didn't work. I'm like, what? what else am I supposed to do? Now, she does resonate with Christmas music. So I think I'll, I have a couple of um, playlists on my, you know, my iTunes. I'll make sure they're on my phone. I'm going to bring my headphones because after yesterday at the nail place with the Asian Christmas carols. Yeah, that would be. It was like, okay, now I had Christmas carols running through my head. So I might just play them for her. Mm-hmm. Our Rotary Club does a, the very last meeting of December. We have the local high school. One of the local high schools comes in there. Um, they have a, carol caroling a choral come you know group Mm -hmm. and they rent themselves out and do christmas carols and they're fantastic and when they've come every year for ever and last year i had i think 10 residents from mom's home yeah the it was a service project we had them there we bought them gifts and i watched my mom singing along to the christmas carols and i'm like there we go so i just don't want to I don't want to listen to Christmas carols in June. My birthday is in November. There are no Christmas carols before Thanksgiving. (laughs) Just not allowed. (laughs) So, so, yes, this season shall pass. This season shall pass. And I I wish you peace for your journey. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for talking to me and the listeners. And the name of your book is Someone Stole My Iron. Somebody Stole My Iron, yes. I like that title. Well, you have a fantastic rest of the evening, and I will let you know when this comes out. Oh, great. That'd be wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. I realize this is another one of my long episodes, and I promise I really am trying to shorten them up, but everyone I talk to has so much useful information and so many great stories that it's hard to know where to stop. I want to give it all to you. So, Again, thanks for listening, and I'll be in your ears again next week. Are you looking for a way to connect with your loved one? Maybe an activity you can do together instead of sitting around answering the same questions over and over again? Have you checked out Two Lap Books yet? If you haven't, you're missing out on something that I am certain you and your loved ones will thoroughly enjoy. Two lap books have changed many of the visits I've had with mom tremendously. These simple read aloud books were created specifically for memory challenged adults. You see, people living with Alzheimer's eventually lose their ability to initiate conversation with others. Because of this, these uniquely adapted books, quote, give voice to these loved ones. 
by using the book's large, simple text and beautiful, colorful illustrations, we can initiate conversations. Most noteworthy, we can make meaningful connections with our loved ones and help stimulate their mind. Caregivers will enjoy sharing these books and creating purposeful, interactive activities for engaging people with memory deficits. Reading these books together could very likely bring out memories you can cherish together. There's a link in the show notes to the My Favorite Things page on my website. The page is linked to the Amazon pages of all my favorite books and products that have helped me with my mom over the years. Definitely check it out. I'm certain you'll find something that will help you like they helped me. That's why I created this page for you. Hey listeners, can you do me a big favor? Can you click on the five star button right there on your phone? Or head over to Apple iTunes and leave a rating or review? This is how new people find my podcast and I can't be a supportive podcast if people don't know I exist. Thanks so much.